Well, we'll see if I can't get through this quick. Uh, I bet y'all have places to be after this. All right, look, we preachers, we can see you checking your watches. We know when you bail out of here the moment the last song is done. And I get it. Life is busy. Kids have their sports. Work's kept you hopping. I mean, this can be maybe the only day of the week you have to get things done around the house or go run errands. Because nowadays it takes a lot of effort, a lot of energy to get ahead, doesn't it? Inflation's been eating away at the budget. It's even harder even just to stay in the same place. If we want to have a good life, if you want to retire well, we got to get at it, don't we? Because they don't give away nice cars or comfortable houses. We want it. We have to get after it. It won't fall into our laps. We have to get out there and take care of business, right? We want it. We get it. Think about this for a moment. Our culture has, has taken that sentiment, what I, when I want it, I get it, and we have actually elevated that to where we start thinking it's a good thing. I get what I want. Well, is it? Because it's one thing to wait in line for something or to work hard and earn it, but let's not forget our culture is the same one where people will shoot each other over athletic sneakers. We'll stab coworkers in the back for a promotion. We'll let our families pay the price so we can get ahead. But we haven't gotten anywhere good, have we? All this pursuit of new shiny stuff, large bank accounts, fun times, if it got us anywhere good, you'd notice. But it hasn't resulted in a happier or more fulfilled, better adjusted or mentally balanced people, has it? My wife's a pharmacist. She knows just how many people out there are on mood-altering medications. If all this was working, you wouldn't need them. So why do we do it? Well, we do like the flashy stuff, the new stuff, the nice stuff. I mean, that's normal. We look for what catches our eye. But there's something else at work here. It's not just a desire for something better. Our desires, you see, are fundamentally broken. Our wanting is flawed. We have a sin nature that affects us at a root level. I grew up as being a computer geek. You know, we would talk about it being an issue with at least the operating system, if not the hardware. Somewhere deep, deep inside of us, we're broken. And those desires that come out of us, they're not just flawed, they're also actively working against us. We don't just want the wrong things, they're sabotaging us. Paul even described his own sin nature once as drawing him to do things he didn't want to do. It's kind of a paradox. What we want, we know isn't always good for us. So here we are, we're hooked on seeking that which is bad for us. And the process of achieving it is destructive to our souls. And if we ever succeed, we often find out it's not worth the price we paid. You ever watch any of those, you know, story of, hey, I won the lottery? Not a whole lot of happy stories with that, are there? And what's more, 
That sin nature and the temptation of Satan draws us further and further down this road. We want. And we do things we shouldn't necessarily be doing to get. And when we get, it doesn't do us any good. So we go and do it all again for more. But we want big, we want grand. I mean, who dreams of being the third best? This year is going to be an Olympic year. Anybody likes walking, watching the Olympics? It's fun. You see all these Olympians show up. You know, what are they dreaming of going home with? It's not the bronze. I mean, a lot of them might be really happy to go home with the bronze, but what they're dreaming about is the gold. We want to be the best. I mean, that that grand old queen song, we are the second place. No, we are the champions. We want to be the best. We want the biggest. We want the best. We're not satisfied with just a little. And we're egged on by that little voice of our sinful nature. As Paul is struggling with that sinful nature and he's talking about it, he says, he's finally exasperated by it. He says, who will rescue me from this? He can't do it himself. It's funny, we have all these self-help books. And if any of them worked, you think we wouldn't need any more. We can't rescue ourselves. We're not having any luck doing it ourselves. We're getting nowhere doing this. We're just trying it harder the second time and ending up worse off. But there's an answer to this. Finally, Paul answers his own question. He says, who will rescue me from this body of death? He says, praise be to Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the answer to his question. In Jesus, we find the key to breaking out of this continual destructive spiral that we find ourselves in. This culture of ours, this world of ours, is just continually going down the spiral, but Jesus will break it. Because in Jesus' teachings, we find a different way to be. We've been talking about parables. You know, Jesus, as he taught, very often he taught in parables, telling stories that would get a point across. And he tells two parables very, very quickly, very, very short ones that point us not to the grand, not to the exalted, not to the amazing, but to the humble and to the overlooked. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Jesus speaks of a mustard seed and of a small amount of yeast. Nowadays, we probably don't deal with a whole lot of mustard seeds. But if you've ever baked bread, you've dealt with yeast. You remember a few years ago where everybody basically stayed home and baked bread for some reason? I remember doing grocery shopping. My mother wanted some yeast, and you couldn't hardly find any. Everybody was at home baking bread. 
But neither one of those is all that significant. It's, it's not that much. It wouldn't merit much notice. A, a, a mustard seed is small. It's tiny. It's smaller than a BB. Yeast, you don't use much. If you're baking a loaf of bread, even for that, the amount of yeast that you'd use is so much less than the flour you'd use. It's almost like a rounding error in your measurements. If you would even notice it, you'd say, ah, it's not a big deal. But both of them grow to significant size. Both of them have effects far beyond their initial stature. That tiny mustard seed grows to a decent-sized tree, serves as a home for wildlife. And that small amount of yeast, you work it through the dough, and it causes the dough to rise and brings that dough into becoming loaves of bread. Jesus, when he talks about the kingdom of heaven, he points out to us that it's not that the great, it's not the great that becomes greater. It's not the incredible, it's not the stupendous, it's not the amazing that becomes more so. No, it is the humble that becomes great. You see, Jesus never once, never, you can scour the Gospels, you will not find him saying, you need to build a name for yourself. You need to get out there, hustle, work, do everything you can so you leave your mark on this world and even the emperor of Rome knows your name. Never says it. Never says, you need to become a celebrity, you need to become famous. No. Instead, he points us to his humble kingdom. We're not enhancing our own greatness. Instead, he says, we serve. We serve. Embrace humility. Jesus, as he taught, he always taught about the kingdom of heaven because it's the kingdom of heaven that matters. It doesn't have the flash of the world's prides. This world's really good at drawing the eye. But you get underneath the surface and you start noticing, eh, maybe it's not all there. This world wants us to believe that little things are life-changing. I mean, every year we find out the McRib is back. And we think, oh, yes, it's back. And we go and get one and we discover it's the same particle board pork sandwich that was drenched in cheap barbecue sauce that they had last year. Life-changing? No, but maybe afternoon-changing, depending on how it sits. (laughs) That's what the world does. It builds us up as this really big thing, and then you discover, yeah, maybe not. But the kingdom of heaven, meanwhile, it doesn't seem to be like much. It doesn't stand out. It doesn't have the glitz. It doesn't have the glimmer. But it will be eternal. And while the world and all within it will pass away, only the kingdom of heaven will remain forever. Jesus is telling us the kingdom of heaven, the things of God, They look humble, but they grow far beyond any earthly expectation. 
How do we break this cycle of the world? What's the key to getting out of this downward spiral? To seek the kingdom of heaven. Instead of seeking the things of this world and ending up disappointed, Jesus points us to his eternal kingdom. And like the mustard seed and like the yeast, the kingdom has far-reaching effects because it's the way of God to use the humble to shame the strong. To use what seems foolish to shame what seems wise. You see, the world looks at the kingdom of heaven and it scoffs. Serve instead of being served. Be humble instead of being great. Are you okay in the head? But God's way is not our way. He is wiser. He is greater. Why would we be surprised to find out that God does things differently than we do? He's smarter than we are. You know, if somebody's smarter than you, you expect them to do something a little different, right? You might even think that person's crazy. They're so smart, their brain just works at right angles to reality. And that's kind of what God does to us. Wait, God says that? That's bizarre. Why would he do things like that? That makes no sense to us. Well, of course not. We're dumb. Compared to God, the whole of humanity of all time doesn't have enough brains to fill a thimble. He is wiser. He is greater. And this growth that we see in the parable, you don't get those results from the start. You know, the mustard seed doesn't start out the same size as a tree. Can you imagine that? Imagine if you know, oak trees dropped acorns the size of the tree. Can you imagine an acorn that big? Yeah, that, that's going to wreck your car. Although, if you've ever seen the movie Ice Age, Scrat, the little rat that's always chasing the acorn, he would love it. But no, it's ludicrous to think of a, of a seed the same size as the plant. That, that, that's bizarre. That, that's not going to happen. You'd never get that thing planted. It's always something small plants and germinates and becomes greater. Or how about, why don't you try this this afternoon? Go home, bake yourself a loaf of bread. And use as much yeast as you do flour. Anybody think that's going to turn out well? No? No takers on that one. Yeah, I, I wouldn't try it either. It'd be expensive. Yeast costs real money. That bread is going to be a disaster. No, the only way this works is for small beginnings to lead to tremendous results. Jesus, even as he told these parables, he was investing his teaching in a dozen men. And with some other followers, they would go forth to found the church, which spans the globe and still stands today, despite the best efforts of some of the strongest governments the world has ever known. They tried to stamp it out. The Roman Empire tried to destroy Christianity. We're here today. Where's the Roman Empire? It's only in the history books. A handful of random guys, no political heavyweights, no great popularity, all of them teaching the news and the message of Jesus of Nazareth, and it continues today. 
And it will continue until Jesus returns. Friends, if you're seeking that which matters, if we want to find something impressive, we have to shift our focus. We can't just keep on the treadmill that this world offers us. What we need to do is to seek the kingdom. How do we do that? Okay, good preacher. You say seek the kingdom. Wonderful. Now what? Well, you put the things of God first. Standard principle of time management. That which isn't important should never come before that which is important. You remember when you were in high school, doing, he had, came home with homework, and you may have wanted to hang out with friends or play games or do something like that. What did your parents say? When the homework's done. Do the important stuff first. At work, what do you do first? Better be the stuff that really matters. Friends, we will not find the kingdom accidentally. You will not wind up in your 80s or 90s as you're getting ready to draw your last breath with your family gathered around you, and you're not going to look at them and say, I chased after everything this world had to offer, but somehow I ended up finding the kingdom of heaven. No, we don't do this accidentally. It doesn't just take care of itself. No, we only find the kingdom when we make it our primary focus. We only seek God, or we only find God. We only truly become like Him when that is what we want most of all. How do we make it our primary focus? How do we put it first? Folks, start with your schedule. Make time for prayer and for the Word. Read the Word of God. Maybe you want to read through the Bible. Maybe you've never done it before. Go for it. But put together a schedule first because you're going to get to Leviticus and hit a wall. Get through Leviticus, you'll keep going. Whew. Judges. Life's a lot easier when you get to Judges or, or, not, or Joshua than Judges and Ruth. You know, the, those history books, you're doing good right up until you get the major prophets. I mean, you can even make your way through. You know, the books of poetry. But Isaiah can be an uphill climb. You get past Malachi and you get into the New Testament and it's like, whoo, it's downhill from here. This is easy. But you don't usually hit that if you're reading through it in a year until maybe October-ish. You're going to take discipline. You've got to schedule it. You have to be determined to do it. And to spend time in prayer to seek God. If you don't determine to do it, it won't happen. But you make time for that. Ask God to shape you, to mold you, and you'll find as you're putting the things of God first that you're being shaped, you're being molded. At the end of that year, you're not the same person you started with. And you almost can't wait to start the Bible again. Or maybe to find some other devotional work. Say, I'm going through this a different way next time. Put the things of God first and then invest yourself in the kingdom. Don't hold back that fervor we used to have for the things of this world, that desire to hustle. You know, that's what they're, they've been talking about that, you know, the hustle. You go, you got your job, and then maybe you got, you know, a side gig. You do that and you work hard, you can get ahead. Well, how about using some of that fervor in seeking God?
Instead of taking every opportunity to make money or to seek the things of this world, maybe examine every avenue to grow closer to Him, to become more like Christ. To take that time. Oh, you got a few minutes? While you're waiting on the plane or the bus or whatever, read a chapter of the Bible. You're sitting there talking with a friend. Maybe instead of swapping stock tips, start talking about Jesus. If we do this, we find that kingdom growing. We find that it's becoming so much more than we thought it could be. That little mustard seed, folks, it's sprouted. It's getting big. That little bit of leaven is growing. That lump of dough is rising. Friends, the kingdom has indeed flourished and it will continue to because the gates of hell have never once prevailed upon the church. It has not before. It will not in the future. Oh, it might look like there's setbacks, but I guarantee you the kingdom of heaven, folks, it is going to be win after win until the day Jesus comes again. And it won't even stop in this life. The kingdom is going to continue into the next. You know, I've done a number of funerals. You know, one, one thing I've never really seen on a hearse? There's no luggage rack. No trailer hitch. It's not there. Whatever we gain in this world, we're leaving for somebody. Whether it's the kids, the nephews, or just the tax man. It doesn't come with us. But the temporary nature of this world and its empires, that does not apply to the kingdom of heaven. It keeps going. It's the only thing that lasts forever. If we seek the kingdom, friends, we find so much more than we ever found with the world. Everything about the world comes to an end. It rots. It falls away. Lindsay and I were at the RV show downtown yesterday. One of the things that was there, we like motorhomes. They had a $550,000 one built on a massive freight liner, you know, those big old semi-truck things. Yeah, one of those with a big old house on the back. It was cool. And that thing is going to rot and rust and be destroyed a lot sooner than somebody might like. And not just because these things ain't built all that well. Friends, that's the nature of this world. Everything in it falls apart. Everything in it comes to an end. But in the kingdom of heaven, when we seek it, we find it. It's not like the world that never quite lives up to its billing. We chase after things in this world. When we get it, we find it's not as great as we wanted. But if we find the things of God, it's so much greater than we could have imagined. It's real easy to oversell the things of this world. It is impossible to oversell the blessings of God. And when we find that, we also find fulfillment because we're living up to our divinely given purpose. It is amazing how many people think life has no purpose. 
We joke about what's the meaning of life. Friends, if we find God, we find the meaning. The meaning this world has to offer, it's not much. The meaning we find in Christ, you can't beat it. Because we know our Creator, and in doing that, we find peace, we find belonging, we find an inner well being that beats anything this world might try to deliver. And we find life. We know this world isn't the total of our existence. There's something within us that rejects the notion that it all ends at death. Even hardened atheists, friends, have a hard time with that. Because there is something built into the human experience, just baked right into our our brains that says, no, it's not. But in Christ we find that life. Even though our time on earth may be limited, friends, our time on earth, in heaven, it won't be. We, here on earth, we get what? 80, 90 years? Maybe a little more? Maybe a little less? Imagine what it will be like to have eternity. I don't even know if there's a clock in heaven, if anybody bothers with a calendar. So you got to wait for a thousand years to meet with Moses. You got nothing but time. (laughs) Friends, we laugh about it, but that's going to be the truth. We will have forever. And Jesus calls us from that unproductive chasing after the wind to a humbler place, a place that doesn't seem like much, a place that seems like, okay, it doesn't look like much. Really, Jesus, this is what you're offering? They've got all this flash, all this wonderful stuff, and you're just holding out something that looks kind of pathetic? And he says, but it grows into so much more greatness than this world could ever offer. Friends, the everything the world offers crumbles. Everything Jesus offers flourishes. We receive blessing and fulfillment now. And we receive life everlasting. Oh, it looks pretty humble to start with. But the kingdom of heaven... It becomes so much more. Stand with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you do for us. We are grateful that you give us your truth, that you offer us. You offer us everything, Father. More than the world could offer. You even give us eternity. Lord, draw us to you. Help us to choose your ways, your kingdom. Lord, draw us to you that we might find fulfillment and life everlasting. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.